0: This is Jennifer Gonzalez welcoming you to episode 118 of the Cult of Pedagogy podcast. In this episode, I'm going to talk about why and how you can boost learning in your classroom by adding movement. If you were to start singing the Itsy Bitsy Spider right now, I bet you'd have a hard time keeping your hands still. That's because most of us who know the song learned it with gestures, and things we learn with physical movement tend to stick. We can apply that same principle to classroom learning, using movement to enhance learning from preschool all the way through college. In this episode, we're gonna take a look at what the research says about movement-based learning, and then explore six different ways you can add more movement to your instruction. Before we get started, I'd like to thank Pear Deck for sponsoring this episode. Pear Deck is the tool that helps you supercharge student engagement. With Pear Deck, you can take any Google Slides presentation, add interactive questions or embed websites and send it to student devices so they can participate in real time while you present. And now Pear Deck has teamed up with Google on Be Internet Awesome, a free digital citizenship curriculum that helps kids learn to be safe more confident explorers online. Pear Deck educators worked with Google to create interactive presentations that accompany the lessons from Be Internet Awesome. Each one gives teachers a simple way to introduce a concept related to digital literacy. And because they're editable, they're easy to tailor to your student's grade level. The basic version of Pear Deck is free, but my listeners can now get a complimentary 60-day trial of Pear Deck Premium with no credit card required. This will give you access to features like the teacher dashboard, personalized takeaways, and more. To learn more, head to peardeck.com slash cult pedagogy. Support also comes from Newseum Ed. Are your students able to tell real news from fake? Can they recognize bias in sources and in themselves? Are they savvy searchers? Today's media landscape can be tricky, and Newseum Ed, a free educational website, has the tools and tips to help students tackle the challenges. Their newest suite of resources, called FactFinder, Your Foolproof Guide to Media Literacy, has 11 flexible multimedia lesson plans to prepare students to identify the type of information they've encountered, understand why they've found it, and evaluate its purpose and credibility. Learn more and register to get a free media literacy poster at newsiumed.org foolproof. That's N-E-W-S-E-U-M-E-D dot org slash foolproof. The Cult of Pedagogy podcast is part of the Education Podcast Network. The EPN family now includes 30 different podcasts, and each one is focused on education. Check out all of the EPN podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Now, let's talk about movement in the classroom. We're going to start by talking a little bit about the research and then we're going to get into six specific ways that you can add movement to your classroom. So, about the research. First, I want to address the concept of learning styles, which has been popular for decades but has been overwhelmingly debunked and labeled a myth by researchers. So, Attempting to determine which of your students are kinesthetic learners is not really a good use of your time. But what is worth your time is using movement when you're working with all of your learners because there's a lot of research that backs that up. For example, uh, the first, and I've just got three basic principles I wanted to share in terms of summarizing the research on movement. The first one is that in general, people learn better when information is presented to them in more than one way. So in other words, if we take in information through more than one sense, we are more likely to encode it in long-term memory. This would include taking things in visually by looking at them, uh, taking them in verbally or by listening to them, um, and then also all the kinesthetic modes of learning, anything thing that involves movement. So just as a general rule, it's good for all learners to take in information through multiple modes. The second basic you know, summary of the research is that um, the use of gestures specifically results in more enduring learning than learning without gestures. So even the addition of a few small hand gestures can have an impact on how well students remember the material. And finally, study after study shows that physical activity activates the brain. It improves cognitive function and it is correlated with improved academic performance. This means that any kind of physical activity, not just movement associated with the material we're learning, can benefit students academically. So this is any kind of movement at all can can result in better learning. So with that said, I am hoping that I have established that it is a good thing to build in some more movement into your instruction. So we're gonna talk about six different ways that you can do that and uh, hopefully you'll hear something in here that makes a light bulb spark and you decide to try it. So the first one is called total physical response and this is actually what I was going to do this whole entire podcast on but then I just kept finding other things. So total physical response was developed for use with second language learners um, all the way back in the 1960s. It's very simply um, having students act out physical gestures to represent vocabulary words it's been shown to be highly effective with children and adults um, but it can also be used to help learners remember new vocabulary terms in their native language so in other words it can be used in any content area with any student and it's especially good in content areas that are um, rich in vocabulary where you have to have students learn a lot of new terms so um, for all of these six different ways of adding movement I am um, I'm putting videos over on the website that show some of these strategies in action. And for total physical response, I've actually got three of them. So if you want to see any of these videos, you just go to cultofpedagogy.com, click on podcast, and then go to episode 118 and you will be taken to a full blog post with all of these videos here. So I'm not going to play the audio because that is just not the same as seeing them, but I'll just describe them. So the first one for... TPS for total physical response is more of the classic version. This is a person who works with English learners. Um, he is a third grade teacher named Michael Roland, and he's just demonstrating how he has the students do these gestures. One of the points that he makes in his is that he actually has the students help him come up with the gestures. And, uh, you know, he believes that that's a really important part of the process. So that's one example. Another example comes from uh, another Texas teacher named Craig Gaslow. uh, But he teaches AP human geography in high school. And he is uh, demonstrating how he uses TPR to teach three different models of diffusion. Um, If you are a geography teacher, you know what that means. I don't know what that means, but the video is fantastic. He's got a ton of enthusiasm, and one of the points that he makes is that you have to kind of um, kind of nerd it up a little bit, like exaggerate in some of these movements, um, because that makes them more memorable, because the kids have a little bit more fun with them, and it just makes them more memorable. So you have to watch that video to see that in action. And then another video, which is very quick. Um, comes from a high school earth science teacher. Um, The teacher's name is Scott Causer, and the students are really, really quickly demonstrating with gestures um, earth science processes. To me, it looks like the the water cycle. It's precipitation and condensation and rain, but they use hand gestures, um, and it looks to me like they've done this over and over again because it's just like it comes automatically to them. So... Those are three different examples of total physical response and I think the main point I'm trying to get across in this is that it is not just for English learners. It's, it can be for any content area where you're trying to teach vocabulary. So number two is called tableau or snapshot and in the tableau strategy students create a physical snapshot with their bodies like a still picture that represents an idea. So it's almost like they are frozen in the middle of a scene. Um, I give you two different examples. Um, one of them comes from a fourth grade teacher named Stephanie Cundiff. Um, and this is actually happens to be the water cycle also, but um, she talks about how she doesn't just release students to just say, Okay, now create a tableau. There's a whole process where they have to fill out a template, they've got to sort of do a little bit of research on whatever the thing is, the concept that they're gonna be demonstrating. Um And they've got to even draw a little picture of how they plan on using their bodies to demonstrate this. And then um, they do their tableau and the other students have to kind of guess at what they're doing. And um, she says it's also a really good formative assessment tool because if she asks students to sort of act out this concept, and they get some pieces wrong then she knows what she has to reteach so it's um it's something that appears to be very simple but I think it's got a ton of potential for really really deep learning and assessment and discussion and then there's another example of the same strategy that's used by uh, an Idaho high school uh, ELA and social studies teacher named Tyler Jacobs and the way that he does snapshot, and he's actually sent me a Google Slides presentation that where he explains it in the presentation, so you can click through that, but he actually has his students do three, so three snapshots of a concept in a row, like in order, almost like a comic strip, That so they can sort of like have a tiny bit of movement instead of it being just completely static. Um they also have to sort of do some planning and research ahead of time. And it's also a springboard for a very rich classroom discussion because while these students are performing their snapshot sequences, their classmates have to sit and sort of take notes on what they're doing. And then they have a conversation when they're done where they sort of guess and say, you know, is that what this was? What was this? And they kind of go back and forth um, with the group that did the snapshot. So, I mean, this is just a ton of discussion about the material that they're learning. A lot of um, correcting misconceptions and, um, you know, with the teacher themselves can can be listening to all of this and, and kind of correcting things as they go along or reinforcing certain things. So, um, you know, what to me at first seemed like a pretty, you know, basic, simple strategy is really the more I kind of look at it, it's really showing itself to be um, pretty rich in potential. Um, Tyler Jacobs also says that his students just report really, really enjoying doing it. They think it's really fun. And they say that they actually learn those concepts better, the ones that they've done as snapshots in class. So the third uh, strategy for adding movement is simulations. And this will be one that, that a lot of you are probably already familiar with. Uh, In a simulation, students demonstrate a concept with some kind of motion or interactivity, um, and and they're actually being the thing as opposed to like representing it in some kind of a pantomime. So in a simulation, students could represent non-human components, and that's the examples that I have to give. Um, Or they might actually take on the role of humans in some type of a reenactment of an event. Uh, So I've got two videos to show you. The first one comes from the University of British Columbia. Uh, This is a college class where electrical engineering professor Matthew Yedlin has his students simulate the difference between linear growth and exponential growth. And the way it works, they're sitting in sort of regular college auditorium seats, and he has the very first student in the first row uh, tap the student next to him, and then she taps the student next to her, and they sort of go all the way down the line, and then it wraps around, wraps around, wraps around until it gets to the last student in the back corner. They time this to see how long it took for that thing to spread. Um, Then... Uh, in the second experiment he has one student touch two other students on the arm and then each one of them touches two students and so on and so on exponential and they time to see how long it takes to reach the guy at the back again it was quicker that time third time around he does it he does the same thing the exponential growth except he has the first person be the one in the center of the room instead of at the corner to demonstrate this um the whole video is just three minutes long and it and it just shows um you know, how quickly these things can spread. What I noticed about this video is that these college-age students seem absolutely delighted to be able to participate in something that is getting them up out of their seats and um, doing anything besides just sitting, listening, and taking notes. They they really do look appreciative of, of this very brief, simple exercise. Um, and I just, I think there is a, a misconception sometimes that the older your students are the less willing and and interested they are in doing any type of interactive type of a thing like this and i just think it's so untrue i i taught college students for 4 years and we did a lot of stuff like this and i think they i think they really appreciate it you know there there is some resistance sometimes because everybody's used to being fairly passive in college but uh I don't know. You have to see the video. I mean, they're, they're they're not jumping for joy or anything, but you can just sort of tell from their faces. There's this sort of relief of like, oh, we can get up and be human for a little while. We can laugh a little bit, and and they're gonna remember this activity the next time he talks about linear and exponential growth. Their brains are immediately gonna go back to where they were sitting in the room that day, and and the sort of visual of everybody like getting tapped and standing up when they after they got tapped or whatever. Um, there's a lot of novelty and, and just a lot of good memory ties. So that's a good example. And then there's um, another one. Um, this one comes from Michelle Cliché, who teaches uh, grade four and five in London, Ontario, Canada. And this is uh, her students out on the playground doing a simulation of the circulatory system and they're running around with these red and blue bean bags, and she explains it in her note underneath the video of of what each piece represents but just like with the exponential growth one they're gonna remember this activity so much better than they would have if it had just been a video that they watched or um, a diagram in a book so that is another one and then I also added one more for simulation and this one this one is not quite a simulation but I wasn't sure where to put it Uh, this is a video from uh, an educator named Amy Tepperman and she uh, does a lot of work with sort of movement and learning and what she's demonstrating is a fraction um, activity that uses breakdance moves and um, So if you imagine that she is leaning over and she's got her hands on the floor and her feet on the floor, and what that represents is four-fourths or one whole. You've got all four parts um, connected to the floor. And if she lifts just one foot, then what she's representing there is three-fourths. And then if she stands up and has just her feet on the ground, then that's two-fourths or one-half. And so... After teaching these basic concepts to students, then, you know, she can lead them through an activity where she's shouting out different combinations and um, putting them into different positions and asking them what their fraction is. And it's just another, you know, real physical way of representing these concepts Uh, and students are going to remember it. So, before I leave the topic of simulations, I wanted to just also add one more note, and I am planning on doing a whole episode on just this topic but i I feel like I need to say something about historical simulations If you do those or you're planning on doing one, um, I would urge you to do a little bit more research maybe than what you've done in the past because there have been a lot of news stories lately of simulations particularly uh slavery simulations um that really can end up traumatizing students if they're done the wrong way and i think there are a lot of wrong ways of doing historical simulations so um i've i've linked to an article from teaching tolerance about this problem and it gives some advice to teachers who are in the in a position where they might want to do uh, a historical simulation so um, Without going into a ton of detail, I'll just say that, you know, exercise a lot of caution and do, do some reading. And I'd say go straight to Teaching Tolerance and just look up simulation and you will probably find it. But there's also a link from uh, the blog post on Cult of Pedagogy. So we've done the first three, which is total, total physical response, tableau or snapshot and simulations. So the fourth one is very simple. It is just songs with movement. So any kind of a song is a powerful way of teaching concepts to students. And if your songs also incorporate movement, then even better. They're going to remember the concepts even better. So I've just given you one example. It comes from Dan Adler, who is a sixth grade science teacher in Lawrence, Massachusetts. And he uses songs all the time with physical movement to help his students remember challenging concepts. Uh, The video that we're showing is a song with motions, that he taught his students, Uh, it's called Bodak Particles, and it's about phase change. It is sung to an instrumental version of Cardi B's song, Bodak Yellow. And we've even got a link to the lyrics. So if you like what you see, then you can uh, use that with your students if it pertains to your content area. So that is number four, songs with movement. Number five is virtual and augmented reality. The experiences offered by virtual and augmented reality allow students to move around in and interact with virtual objects and spaces in ways that would be difficult, if not impossible, to pull off in the real world. So this is a different kind of movement, but I think it's valid because it can be pretty incredible. Um, Let me first explain the difference between virtual and augmented reality. Virtual reality is where your entire um, experience you're immersed in a completely different 360 degree environment so if you put on vr goggles and you look around it's like you're someplace else entirely you could be at the bottom of the ocean you could be standing in the middle of the coliseum um, you're literally sort of transported um, to a different place augmented reality um takes your existing surroundings and layers things on top of them it augments them with other things so pokemon go the game is an augmented reality game you walk around with your phone you hold it up to certain locations and then through that phone you see your actual surroundings but then there's extra stuff added on to that sort of like holograms added on to your existing environment so um Both of these types of technology allow students to move around and experience things that they could not experience just sitting in your classroom. So um, I'm just gonna talk about two different tools, one example from each just to kind of sample it for you. And then if you want to learn more, um, there's lots of places you could go. I have a whole section about virtual and augmented reality in my teacher's guide to tech. Uh, You can learn more about that by just going to teachersguide2tech.com and um, checking that out to see if that's something you wanted to pick up. But I will um, tell you about two of the tools that I was really impressed with this past year. Um, For augmented reality, there is a a company called Merge that is doing some stuff that I think has some really tremendous learning opportunities. Um, Merge has this sort of combo pack. They've got goggles. And then they have this uh, handheld cube, they call it the merge cube, that when you look through the goggles and you have a certain program loaded, that cube in your hand becomes a variety of objects. It can become a a human heart, it can become um, like a skull, it can become a statue, it can become, um, you know, pretty much whatever the the program tells it to, to be. And the person with the goggles holding the cube can turn it around it can look at it this thing can have like little labels that pop off of it that explain what the different parts are so i think it it allows students to experience certain objects in a way that's just completely different from how they would if it was a diagram in a book or um, you know even a video that they were watching so um That And again, you're sitting there looking through these goggles and you see your classroom and everything, but when you look down at your hand, instead of seeing a cube, you see something else. You're holding, you know, the earth in your hands, for example, and you can turn it around. So that one I think is worth investigating. Um, And the Merge goggles are not as expensive as other VR, AR goggles. Um, So that one is worth checking out. And then a virtual reality tool that I've, think is just very impressive and this is the the one that immerses you entirely in a different world as if you're sitting in the middle of a completely different space um is google expeditions which has really just i think become kind of the gold standard for this type of thing um it, it allows you to choose from over 500 different locations for tours. So they have historical landmarks and national and state parks and underwater sites and up-close studies of scientific phenomena, just, just about anything you can imagine. And These are contributed by different people, so it's growing all the time. Um, and so there's a video here showing students experiencing some of these and the reaction that you get from them. And I just think that... Um, You know especially if you're teaching like science or social studies um to be able to take students to places or to you know up close views of certain things is a completely different kind of experience than any other way that they could experience that apart from a field trip which is not necessarily affordable for everybody in every school so um I would look into that and look into Google expeditions and what's even better that's come along more recently is something called Google tour creator, which allows you to create your own Google expeditions using photos that you upload or, and, or a combination um, with all of the different photos that Google has been collecting of all of these places. Um, for the last however many years. So you can create these custom tours that have 360 degree photos that you can move around in, you can add text, you can pretty much add whatever you want to these tours, and so creating your own expedition. So I think the potential for all of these things is just really, really incredible. So VR and AR is another way of adding movement to your instruction. The last one is um, brain breaks, and this one's really simple, it's easy to implement, and it probably requires the least amount of of preparation. This is just the idea that you should occasionally take breaks from your teaching and let kids do a little moving around. This is pretty common in elementary schools um, and not so common in middle and high schools when the kids, I think, need it more than anything because they don't even have recess. So um I put in a typical video for like an elementary level um, type of a brain break. This is a song called Tutti Ta, and it's just a really cute little song. Um, and then I also included a video um, produced by a high school math teacher whose name is David Sladkey, and he um, has actually written a book of brain breaks that I linked to. That are really good for all ages and that that's the thing you got a cute little song like tootie tat <laughs> and littler kids are going to be fine with it but as they get older they're more embarrassed and they don't really want to do these little goofy songs so the brain breaks that david sladkey uh, offers are much more sort of low-key but they're still fun the video is this toe tapping uh, brain break where these the kids have to face each other and, and lift their foot and just gently tap each other's feet in a certain rhythm And um, it doesn't take long, and it's just a way of breaking up the monotony of the class and kind of energizing them a little bit, and they look like they're having fun. So I would definitely come check that out. If you're, you know, if this whole idea of adding movement to your instruction sounds good, but you're thinking, oh, when am I ever going to get to that, just consider adding the brain breaks, just one, one in the middle of your class, and that's it. Check out some of these from this guy, David Sladkey. So before I go, I've just got four tips For getting started and for implementing these. Uh, The first one is don't overdo it. Attempting to add a movement component to every concept students learn would not only be time-consuming, it could also get old. Shifting from a fun novelty to something that causes students to slump over in their seats and say, not that again. So, you know go easy when you're adding this in because what you want is for it to be fun and energizing and not just something where it's like oh we're gonna do the gestures again so that's number one don't overdo it number two is get input from students Um, this is one of the earliest videos I talked about the teacher said that he has the students actually help him come up with the gestures this is just a good idea it's um, getting them involved in the process means that they're going to remember it better and also you're going to have a bigger pool of ideas to pull from and you're probably going to end up with more effective gestures if more people are contributing ideas the third piece of advice is use movement for retrieval practice now retrieval practice is something we talked about in episode 79 of this podcast so if it's not a familiar term for you that would be the next episode to listen to i'm not going to explain it here but once you understand what it is, you'll, you'll get what I mean. And so um, instead of just doing movement as one big kind of a lesson, spread it out over time, which is the the concept of spaced retrieval practice, um, and also interleave your concepts with each other. So, you know, have, have them do the movements for one thing and then shift over to something completely different because that back and forth, that struggle to remember um, is also um, – going to contribute to more lasting learning than if you just do sort of the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And the last piece of advice is for younger students, meaningful gestures matter more. So there are two different types of gestures, and I've just learned these terms this week. Um, one category of gestures is what they call iconic gestures. In other words, they have some sort of meaning to them. So for example, if I was teaching uh the word statuesque, and I had students reach their hands up really high to, sh- to demonstrate a tall height. That is an iconic gesture. That gesture sort of matches in meaning the word that I'm saying. The other kind of gesture is called a beat gesture, which is just a gesture that happens to be uh, on a certain beat in a sentence or in a song. So it could be, you know, just clapping or something like that. Um, what this one study found that I, that I came across is that younger children learn more from iconic gestures the meaningful ones with adults it doesn't matter as much they can learn pretty much just as well with the meaningful ones and the ones that don't really mean anything but with kids it actually matters more so if you are the younger your students are the more emphasis you should place on making sure that you're using gestures that actually have a meaningful connection to the concepts that you're talking about so that is it i hope that you have heard something in this that you want to try. Um, really excited to think about all of the students who might be, you know, in for a surprise this coming week in terms of something new and fun that you're going to be adding to the class, and they may not even realize that they're learning better. So I hope you go out and do something that, that I talked about here. For links to all the resources mentioned in this podcast, visit cultofpedagogy.com, click podcast, and choose episode 118. To get a weekly email from me about my newest blog posts, podcast episodes, and products, sign up for my mailing list at cultivatepedagogycom slash subscribe. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.